Today, um, we get to talk about a, a cool topic, uh, a word that God has been just putting in my heart, something he has been ministering to me about deeply, and it is about his love. It's fun. That's all we've been talking about today is God's love and just hearing everybody's prayer. I'm like, oh, God, I am supposed to be preaching this today because I've just been hearing, especially from you, Sister Debbie. Um, so we get to talk about God's love today. And, and our text will be John 3.16 and Romans 8.38-39. But before we go there, let's just open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I need you dearly, Lord. God, I, I, I need you to reduce me, Lord, that I may preach your word correctly in truth, God, not in my own abilities, not in my own way to our ways, our cunningness, God, but just truthfully, Lord God. God, I'm praying that you do what you've been doing in me all this week, God, how you just been showing me your love and affection for me, God. I'm praying that you do that in my brothers and sisters, God, that they may sing your song as they go throughout the, the day of your love for them, God. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm just begging and pleading that you just go before me, Lord. Go and touch hearts as you've been touching mine all week, Lord. Go before and take the words and hit that place, God. You know, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you just open hearts and minds to your truth, that we may come to see this great love and affection that you have for us. In Jesus' name, pray, amen. amen. So today, our, 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 our topic, or our title is Crazy Love. Crazy love. Some of you read the Francis Chan book. It's called Crazy Love. Um, he, he talks about these individuals who are just so in love with God and the things that they, they do. So we're going to be talking about crazy love and, and Kelly and Young and my wife. Yes, I did preach this at the mission on Wednesday. Thank you for coming. <laughs> but you got part A. <laughs> It's just part A and B ever since, um, Wednesday, God has made things clearer for me. And so I hope to make that clear to you. And hey, man, I just, let me just say this, this side note. When I was in college, right? It was the hardest thing for me to write a paper, like a long paper. Cause you know, in college, you got to do like five, 10 page papers all the time. And it would be so hard for me to write like an eight page paper, even though it was double spaced, right? So it's really only four pages. And, and so it's crazy how now when I write my sermons, I'm like trying to shorten it because right? I, I could write forever and ever and ever and ever when it comes to God. It's just crazy in college. My wife would tell you, I, I cried sometimes because I couldn't write. Like I would get writer's block and I love writing, but I just couldn't write. And I would get writer's block. And when it comes to God's word, I can just keep going on and on and on. And I'm like, I got to stop this somewhere, Lord. I got so just amen. So we're going to talk about God's crazy love, crazy love. So when we hear the phrase or the term crazy love or that someone is crazy in love with a person, we think of a person that's just so madly in love with an individual. Um, this, this person is just head over heels for an individual. They have a extreme love, we say. Matter of fact, when I, when I think about crazy love or that somebody is crazy in love, I think about that, that, that young guy, that young girl before the days of cell phone. And you, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you would just sit by the landlord, landline phone 
and you just sit there and you just wait for that phone call of that guy that you're dating. You're just so in love. You just can't wait to hear his or her voice. And, and then you get on the phone and you just talk for hours and hours about anything about Chinese food and, and the color of the sky and, and just ribbons and butterflies or whatever. You're just so in love that just whatever word that they say to you is just so sweet and so good and and just love this person that that's that crazy love we call it or or you think about that that woman or that husband whose spouse is in a hospital and they refuse to leave their side but they stay there night and day just praying for their husband or their wife holding their hands why because they are in crazy love with this individual they love this individual and we don't just call that standard love because standard love is not enough, right? We we need some type of adjective to describe this deep love. We can't just call it normal love. It has to be something else. So it's that crazy, that that deep, affectionate love called crazy, crazy love. And so when I use the term crazy love today, I'm describing a person's behavior or I'm describing the things beyond reason that a person will do out of their expression of love for an individual. And here's the thing. Do you know that God crazy loves? Or do you know that God has a deep, crazy love and affection for you? Do do you know that? That he has a deep, crazy love beyond measure for you. When I was uh, on Wednesday night, when we were leaving the mission, um, I, I, I was driving it and I told Serenity, I said, Serenity, I'm really just beginning to understand how God is crazy and madly in love with me. And look what a child said. She said, really? You didn't know that? <laughs> and, and, and so I went on to explain to her, like, no, Serenity, I, I know that, but God is just giving me a deeper revelation or understanding of that love and 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 that it's just really moving me see i have always known that god loves me or when i came into christ i I knew that the lord loves me i mean you see it all throughout the scriptures right all throughout the scriptures you see god's love and especially in this commercialized christianity that we live in you, you see god's love everywhere it's on bumper stickers right it's on T-shirts. It's on Bibles. It's everywhere. God loves you or God is love. So we see that everywhere. But for some reason, my heart grew dull to God's love for me. My heart grew dull for God's love for me and not his just general love, but his love for me individually and specifically, but ever since God has knocked me off my feet by his love for me. Now it feels like I'm standing on the shores of the beach and I'm just getting overwhelmed by God's love because I'm, I'm getting it now. I'm in awe of it now. But I wonder how many of you today feel this way? How many of you today feel this way that God is deeply in love with you? 
I, I know it's the customary answer to say, yes, I, I know that God loves me, especially if you grew up in church. You, you, you grew up hearing that all the time. We would sing songs. Jesus loves me. This I know. See, we, we know that and, and we hear that. And we've been hearing that from a child that, that God loves us, that God loves me. But do you really know that he loves you? And not that he just loves you, but he is madly in love with you, that he has deep affections for you. Do you really know that? That is a question. When I was preparing this message today, I was actually afraid to preach this or kind of skeptical or a little cautious about preaching this because I thought this sounds so cliche, a message about God's love. You hear it everywhere. And I'm like, God, I don't want to preach a seeker sensitive message. And I I don't want to preach a peaches and cream message, God. So I, I felt kind of cautious about bringing this up. But when I look in the scriptures, I see that it is everywhere. God's love particularly in the New Testament. It's like that that was God's main point that he kept trying to make that I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, just look at John 3.16. Go there, please. I know it's something we all could quote, but I just want to read it. John 3.16. John 3.16, it reads, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. See, the, the, the so love is the key part in here. The soul love in, in, in the Greek, it's like saying, in this manner, God loved the world, or by this fashion, God loved the world, or in this way, God loved the world. That is what this Greek word means. It's, it's saying this is the example, this is the way that God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, Imagine this. Imagine if I was going to describe a husband's love for his wife. And I said, you see this guy, Jack, over here. And I said, this guy, Jack, over here, he so loves his wife that he he flew her to Paris on a on a first class flight. And when they went to Paris, they stayed in a, in a diamond rated hotel and, and, and they went out and they did this and they did that and they did this and they did that. See, what I'm expressing in this in this example is how the husband is showing his his love and affection for his wife. He's showing it by the, the actions and the things that he's doing. And in our society, this is how love is expressed oftentimes. It's, it's expressed as an affection of our heart followed with action. And more times often than not, this, this love is expressed in dollars and cents in material things. Not always, but often. And I believe we take this same material dollars and cents love of, and, and, and apply it to God. And when we do that, we cheapen God's love to where it's not as valuable. 
I, I hear people say all the time, I know that God loves me because of the many blessings that he has given me. And, and I know that God loves me because of my children that he's given me. And, and I know that God loves me because he woke me up this morning and he put food on my table and he, he has given me shelter and he has given me a job and he has given me this car and he has given me my husband or my wife and because and all of these things, I, I know that God loves me. And yes, these are blessings from God. But in the scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament, when it is describing these things, it describes it sometimes as God's goodness. Or some may say even his common grace. For example, I want to show you something. Go to Acts 14 with me. Go to Acts 14, verse 16 and 17. Acts 14, chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. Or here in Acts 14, verse 16 and 17, Paul is preaching to some Gentiles, not Jewish people, but Gentile people, pagans, who believe in all of these different types of gods. And they, they, they mistake Paul and, and Barnabas for one of their gods because they see him do a miracle. And so look what Paul tells this crowd of Gentiles, of pagans about God. Let's see what he says here. Verse 16, he says this, in the generations gone by, he permitted, talking about God, all nations, all of the world, look, to go their own ways, 17, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good. Now he's showing God's goodness. And that he did good. He gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So what are we seeing here? Paul is preaching to some Gentile pagan believers. And he's talking about God's goodness to them. In terms of material things, in terms of, uh, of fruitful seasons and, and, and food and gladness, he's talking to pagans. He, he could also be talking to atheists who don't even know that it's God's goodness, that they have the success that they have and that they have what they have. So, so God is preaching this message to this group of pagans and letting them know about God's goodness. See, his goodness flows out of his love. But the epitome of God's love, the, the, the prominent measure or the, the prominent description of God's love for you and me or the, the prominent love in the gospel is not expressed in food and clothing. That is not how the gospel is expressed. For example, in John 3.16, it does not say that God so loved the world that he gave you food and clothing. He's not expressing his love in that way. He does not say that God so loved the world that he gave you sunshine and rain. No, that's God's goodness. That is his, his blessings to us. That's a subset of his love, but that is not how he describes his love. That is not the major theme that we see in the scriptures. Why? Because there's nothing in the created universe that will properly describe God's love for us. Nothing. You can take the most valuable thing in this world, the most valuable thing that we treasure. You can take that and guess what? It will not properly 
describe the size and the greatness of God's love and affection for me and you. So God is saying in John 3.16 that since I am the most valuable thing and since I am the best and only thing that can show my true value, my true love for you, then I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving myself to you as an example of the size of my love and affection for you. I'm sending my son. That is the size of my love for you. That is the size of that I'm sending myself because myself is the only thing, the only person, the only thing of value that will show you the magnitude of my love and affection for you. That's why John 3.16 is such a huge verse. God is putting his love right here on display. I remember in the early 2000s, there was a, a very popular song. It was called A Thousand Miles. Anybody remember that song? A Thousand Miles. And it goes, here goes my tunes. And you know I walk a thousand miles just to, wait, I can see I'm messing it up. <laughs> That is it? Yes. And you, so just to see you tonight, right? There we go. Thank you. Thank you. My album is dropping out. <laughs> Amen. So in that song, the lady, Vanessa uh, Carlton, who's singing it, She's describing her love and affection for a person. She's saying that this is how much I love you, that I will walk a thousand miles just to see you tonight. She's trying to paint a picture of, of her love. She, she said, by me taking these thousand steps, these, these thousand miles, it's, it's showing you my, my love and affection for you. See, the father's song is this. This is the, the father's love song. See, see, Vanessa Carlton had a thousand miles. That was her love song. But the father's love song is this, that I'm sending my son who's made in the same image as I, who is in the same nature as I, who is eternal existing, who is all powerful. I'm sending him to die on your behalf so that you may see the size of my love and affection for you. See, that is the father's love song. See, that is a crave deep affectionate love that God has for you and me that he's singing this song and the sending of his son for you and I that's crazy love God God, that, that is deep affectionate love God that you have for me for, for the world for us that's deep crazy love and, and later we will get to the why because I know often we're like, why, right? We want to know the why. But before we get to the why, just focus on that. That God is madly in love with you and me. Just, just, just let that dwell. I know we want to get to the why. But God has these deep affections of love for you and me. Look, go to, go to John if you can. Go with me to 1 John 416. I want to see if you can affirm this verse. First John 416. Let's see if you can affirm this verse. Because all believers need to be able to affirm this verse that John is saying here. 
Look what John says here. I'm going to start in 15 and come down. John says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Here goes the part that I love. I'm like, yes, John, I get it. I'm so on board with you here in this verse. Look what he says in 16. He says, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. John says we have come to know and we have come to believe the love that God has for us. How many of you really believe this? How many of you really believe that God has this deep affectionate love for you? John says that we have come to know this. And we believe that God has a deep and affectionate love for you. But but how many of you in here today truly believe that God, that the God that is in the heavens, that the God that created everything has a deep and affectionate love for you? This is an essential truth that Christians need to know. But here's the thing. There's nothing I could say. Or there's there's nothing that I could do to help you know this. If you remember a few weeks ago, we read in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Spirit, which is given to us. I can say these words, but only the Holy Spirit can go and and pour down that love in your heart to where you know it. And you encountered it. See, when you grow in the knowledge of this love or when you know this love, guess what? Everything changes. Your life changes. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of Christ controls me. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He said it's the, the love of Christ. It controls me. And this is something I want you to notice this in the verse in first John that we just read in verses seven through 16. John is describing how God's love for him or the believers should basically so overwhelm them that it affects how they love and treat others. In your own time, read John seven. Uh, I mean, chapter four, verse seven through 16. You'll see he, he's trying to show how God's love for him. It has so overwhelmed them and it affects how they love and treat others. So keep that thought in mind. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the verse that I quoted, Paul says that the love of Christ controls him. See, when I read these two verses together, I come to the conclusion that a person cannot say that I know the love of God or have encountered the love of God and not see a change in their own love and affection for others. You can't say I've encountered the love of God. You, you've encountered the love of God and the scripture says you hate your brother. That, that doesn't work because when you encounter the love of God, truly it transforms you and it transforms your love. But we, we say that we say that the love of God, we know, but yet we don't show the love of God to others, to our brothers and sisters, to the world, the people out. John is saying that can't happen. If you've truly known the love of God, if you have encountered the love of God, it's going to change everything about you. Now, I want you to notice something. In the, the verse 
In 2 Corinthians 5.14 that I, that I quoted where Paul says that the love of God constrains him. Paul, in that verse, he's talking about Christ's love. He says that the love of Christ, I mean, constrains him. So keep that in mind. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says that the love of Christ constrains him, knowing that one died for all, therefore all died. And then in John 3.16, Jesus is talking about the Father's love for us. So 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about Christ's love for him. Jesus, in John 3.16, is talking about God, the Father's love for us. Do you see the union of the Trinity working here? The Father deeply loves us. This is evidenced by him sending his son to die for us. Jesus, out of an obedience and a deep affectionate love for his Father, which is beyond understanding, beyond what we can ever know, out of that love and also his crazy deep in love and affection for us, he dies on a cross. John 10, 15, Jesus says that I lay down my life for my sheep, which lets you know who the world is in John 3, 16, when he says that he loves the world. He's talking about his sheep. He's talking about the church, the elect. We see that being confirmed in John 10, 15. Uh, matter of fact, I got this from John Piper. I'm not going to take the revelation. It was brought to me, but he was showing how John 10, 15 actually goes deeper than John 3, 16 because Jesus talks about who he's actually dying for. He says it's his sheep, the elect that he's dying for. So John 3, 16 gives you the general, but then John 10, 15 takes you to the specifics of who's Jesus is dying for. And he says, you're not coming to me because you're not my sheep. So. He takes it a little bit deeper there. So we see that the Father is loving us. We see that Jesus is loving us. And then the Holy Spirit is now taking the love of the Father and the Son. And now he's bringing it close to our hearts that we know and experience God. See, that is the economy of the Trinity. All of the Trinity is working to show God's deep love and affection for you and I. Do you see the beauty of that? Do you see the, the beauty of the Trinity or do you see the, the beauty of the Godhead and, and the love that God has for us that all of them are working in union to show this expression of God's love for me and you? That is just amazing that God does such a thing. And here's the thing, though. It gets better. It gets better because the scripture states that this love of God is never ending. This deep, affectionate, crazy love of God is never ending. Romans 8, 39, I'm sorry, 38 through 39, please. Let's go there. It gets better. He evidences his love for us through the Trinity every aspect, and then he tells us that this love is never failing, is unending. Let's read Romans 8, 38-39. Look how Paul says this, I love it. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing, he says, 
will be able to separate us from Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, in these verses, Paul, by the way of the Holy Spirit, is trying to show us the unrelenting love of God. And, and he tries to show us this by showing, giving us the, the, the opposites of two extremes. If you look at this list. So that's why he starts with in the first part in verse 38. What does he say first? He says, death and life. He's giving you the, the, the two extremes, the opposite of each thing. He's saying, here's the life, here's death. So there's nothing in between. So you, you can't say, well, what about this, God? But, but what about that? He said, no, everything from life and death. This is the whole scale. This is all in between. Guess what? None of these things can separate you from God. We've been learning the scriptures that, that death even brings us closer to the Lord. And where Paul says, I'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord. This is how the, the many martyrs that, that was able to endure, they, they knew that this, this death was not going to separate them from God, that it was only going to bring them closer to their Lord and Savior. So here Paul is showing you that everything in between, life, death, the whole scale, nothing in there will stop God's deep love and affection for you, nothing. Then he goes on to the next part of this. And he says, nor angels, nor principalities. Now, in this part of this, uh, the verse, there is some discussion um, because Paul, some say that Paul in here, when he says angels, he's referring to fallen angels, demons, the devil. Um, and, and, and others say, no, he's just kind of show again, that extreme opposite. He's trying to show angels being good angels and then the principalities being the devil and the bad angels. He's trying to show that this whole scale between angels, good or bad, that nothing is going to separate you from God. So there's some discussion on which one he's referring to, because he could be saying angels, meaning devils and demons are fallen angels, or he could just be referring to angels, regular angels and the principalities being the fallen angels. And principalities could also be just rulers, your civil government, your kings, your emperors at that time, showing that none of those things will separate you from the love of God. So regardless of which one he's referring to, he's trying to point and show you that there's nothing there that can stop this unending love that God has for you. And so that's the whole point of the scripture. I, I often jokingly say that this is a part of the scripture that Satan has never considered our thought because he's always trying to get the believer to get outside of the will of God, thinking that's that's going to bring a stop to God's love for them. For example, you look at Peter. Remember big bold Peter, right? How how he was telling Jesus, no, I'm ready to die for you. I'm ride or die. I'm just going all the way with you. And and then what happens? He's scared of the little servant girl. And, and he and he's running away. And all this loud talk just kind of falls away. But what happened when Peter encounters Jesus? What happens when when Peter encounters Jesus? Even though Satan tempted him to to fall away, even though the frailty of of Peter's flesh caused him to do those things he did, what happened when he encounters Christ? Did did Christ's love for Peter change? No. It's nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. This unending love that he has for us, it's, it's unmovable. Now, now I hope that this goes without saying that you just can't go and live disobedient and just thinking God's okay with it. I hope uh, that goes without saying. I mean, 
you you can't just do that. And and God in his grace and love is not going to allow you to do that if you're his. He's going to correct you. He's going to chastise you. He's going to discipline you to bring you back in order. So uh, I hope that goes without saying. So I don't want to get you thinking I'm just preaching this message. Just go live what you want. God is just going to let no, that's not what I'm saying here. Let's look at the next part of this verse here in Romans. So he says that I'm convinced I need a death, nor light, two opposites, life, nor angels or principalities. And then he says here, look, things present, what's the opposite, nor things to come. So he's giving, there's nothing here, there's nothing to come that's going to separate you. So you can have no doubt. He, he wants you sure and, and confident of this great love that God has for you. So again, he's giving you the extremes, the present and the coming. There's nothing in between. There's nothing in the future. There's nothing now that's going to stop this unending, this love that God has for you, Paul. And by the Holy Spirit is trying to make this clear. He's giving us the opposites of two extremes. And then there he gives us just a solo one. He says, nor powers. And then he says in 39, nor height, nor death. Again, the opposite of two extremes, right? The highest height, the lowest death. He's saying there's nothing in between. There's nothing that's going to stop this unending love, this affection, this crazy deep love that I have for you, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing will separate it. And then he says, one of the parts that is really most dear to me, he says, nor any other created thing. I, I actually like how the King James reads this. I know we're not King James people here, right? It doesn't matter which version. I mean, it does matter because there's some bad versions out there. Um, but the King James version, it says, nor any other creature. The King James version, it says, nor any other creature. And, and the actual Greek word for creature is katissis. It's, it's the same word that Jesus uses in Mark 16, where he tells the disciples to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Katissis. It's also the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Katissis. So in this verse, when he says that no other creature or created things, he's talking about creation and and people and any of those things. He's saying that there's nothing in creation or people that can stop me from loving you, that could bring about a, a split between my deep, affectionate, crazy love for you. When I think about that verse or that part of the verse, but the reason I'm highlighting it so dearly is because when I read that, I think about my ancestors who were slaves here in America. And even though the American society at that time did not love them, even though they were treated less than a person or less than human, many of them know that even though America does not love me, Even though America treats me as less than a person, it does not affect God's love for me. And so they would constantly sing and praise, even though they were facing darkness all around them. They didn't let the affection of of the Klan or any racist person say that what you believe is what God believes. He's like, no, that would not change how God feels about me. See, some of the most dearest and uh, sincerest faith can be found in many of the black slaves in America's apartheid area. I've even heard it said that some of the richest and most sincere faith can be found in many of your black churches because of what some of the people had to endure and yet they're not filled with hate and love and that hasn't affected their thoughts and their relationship with God. 
But this verse, when he says any other creature also lends itself to that boy or girl that or that man or that woman that was not loved by their mother or father. Those people that who were not loved by their parents, who were who were told mean and nasty things by their parents, just to know that how my parent feels about me does not affect how God feels about me. Even though you may not love me, God, I mean mom or, or, or dad, I know that God's crazy love and affection for me is unending. So however you feel about me, it does not affect God's love for me. And that is how the gospel is just such good news that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus or the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But here's the question, right? Here's the million dollar question. But why? Right. That's something I want when I when I read. OK, God, you're madly in love with me. You have these deep affections for me. But but why? Why do you love me so? Why? Why are you just so madly in love with little old me that you would reveal your son in me, that you would send him to die for me? And I know, Pastor Brian, you're going to get in this and I'm probably getting ahead of you because you get into the doctrines of grace. So there's going to be a lot of overlap. You're going to hear this again, I'm sure. But we know from the scriptures that it's not because of something we did. Because when Paul tells us in Romans 7 that there's nothing good that dwells in us in our flesh. So it's not because we're so smart, so cute, so intelligent and just made the right decisions. That's that's not it. So why then does he love us? So why does he have this crazy, deep, affectionate love for us? And if Matthew 5, Matthew 11, verse 25 to 26 gives us any indication, it's because It makes him happy to do so. Go to Matthew 11. This is in the indication of why God does what he does. And it says a lot. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 25, 26. Here we go. Look what Jesus says here. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. 26. Yes, Father, for this way was well pleasing in your sight. For this way was was well-pleasing in your sight. So it it brings God's pleasure. It brings him pleasure to to love you. It it brings him pleasure to open your blind heart and and to open your eyes so that you will see his son. It it brings him joy to love you. It it, it brings him happiness. He's pursuing his joy in, in loving you. Think about that. God finds joy in loving you. That brings him pleasure in loving you. And me, it, it, it makes his heart warm. It, it, he likes it. 
the God that created the universe is not only mindful of you, but he has deep affections for you because it brings him pleasure. Thank you, God, for pursuing your pleasure. Bring some pleasure. Bring some joy to love. Now I want you to add a couple things up in your mind. We see that God has a deep out of this world love and affection for us as evidenced by the Father sending his Son to die for our sins. It's one, we see that God so loved the world that he sent his Son. That's the beauty of that. We, we know that God um, has loved us and allowed us to be children of God, to take on his name, to be heirs of the kingdom as spoken in 1 John 3.1. We, we know that, um, we are considered God's treasure, His treasured possession as written in Titus 2.14. And then think about this. God has chose you and me to be His bride. In Ephesians 5.26 and 27, Jesus, He gives His life, the scripture says, for His bride. He, he, he gives his life, the scripture says, for his blood. He, he dies for his bride, which is the church, which is you and me. It says to, to cleanse us so that we may be beautiful on our wedding day when we are presented to him. Do you, you see the beauty of God in the scriptures? That he is loving us to cleanse us so that we will be presented to himself beautiful without spot or wrinkle on that day when we encounter the Lord to see him face to face. He is dying for his bride. He loves. So when you add all of this up, what do you think our response should be? It should be praise unto God for the glory of his grace. It should be a life submitted unto Jesus Christ for his love, for providing a way for the heavenly blessings to, to flow upon us, for, for knowing us and, and coming and taking us out of the dust and out of the darkness and, and giving us a new life. It should be praise unto God for his glorious grace. Which brings me to the second reason why God is so crazy in love with us. It brings him the most glory to do so. It brings him the most glory to do so. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. We're going to look there. See if it brings some glory to do so. Ephesians verse chapter uh, one, verse five and six. Here again, look what Paul says here. It says that he predestined us, predetermined to adoption as sons. Again, he's allowing us to be his children, to be heirs of the kingdom. So he's predestined us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. So it was his kind intention of his will that he's moving. And then what is the end result? What's your result from his predestining us to be adoption as sons to him? It is to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So God is loving us, he's choosing us, he's electing us, and he's allowing us to be the object of his love, to be adopted into his family, unto the praise of the glory of his grace. 
We should be praising him for this grace that he has put upon us, he's saying here in the scriptures. Another way to understand it is that God is God-centered. God is God-centered, meaning he's not me or you-centered. The universe does not revolve around me and you. As John Piper would say, even though we try to act like it. It it does not resolve around me and you. God is God-centered. The universe resolves around God. And you you especially see this in the in the Old Testament. I want to read you something in, in Ezekiel. If you want to go there with me, go ahead. We're going to go to Ezekiel 36. And I want you to see God's God-centeredness. Ezekiel 36, I'm going to just read it, verse 22 through 23. Let's see God's God-centeredness. Look what he tells the children of Israel. They're in exile. They've been kicked out of their land because they have went and served pagan gods and and idolatry. They've broken all of God's commandments. So he allowed enemies to come in to to move them out of the land. But yet he is promising restoration. And look what God says why he is doing this restoration. Let's see the motive or the reason that God is moving on the children of Israel. Ezekiel 36 verse 22. He says, therefore, say to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. Why are you doing it then, God? But for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went, I will vindicate my um, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, declares... That I mean, that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. God is God-centered. Thank God that he is God-centered and is pursuing his own glory. Because here's the key thing that I want you to catch. If God does not pursue his own glory, then there is no me, there's no you, there's no universe, there's no earth, there's no creation. Because all of those things were made for his glory alone, including you and me. So thank you, God, that you are pursuing your glory in creation. Because you and I would not exist if God was not God-centered. So my brothers and sisters, please understand the person who is loving you. The person who has deep affections for you. Do you believe it? Right now, God is deeply in love with you and has deep affections for you. Do you believe that right now? That is something we must consider when you look at God and you come to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your great kindness and love and affection. God, we thank you for pursuing your glory. Your pleasure, God, it brings you pleasure to love us. God, I I don't get it. Don't understand it fully, but thank you, Lord. I pray that you bring your words, your truth to my brothers and sisters, that they may fully come to know you and the deep affections that you have for them as evidence in you sending your son to die and take on wrath on their behalf. 
Thank you for our redemption. Thank you for our justification. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for our right standing with you by the blood of Christ. God, will you bless my brothers and sisters that they may come to a knowledge and understanding of who you are deeper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.